With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Training Unleashed. I want to thank my sponsor, C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio, for making this happen. Got a great guest today. His name is Rob Buffington. He is the CEO of Gordian, and he is an expert on many things. And one of the areas we're going to talk about is remote staffing. But assuredly, other things are going to come up in the conversation. Rob, I'm going to start off with a question I think most people in training really care about. When you work with remote staffing or you hire you know, people that are temporary staffs, et cetera, how do you properly train them? How do you get them up to speed so they're doing the things you need to do? I think a lot of times out of sight, out of mind, and you know that's a problem in training. So why don't we start there and we'll see how the conversation goes. It's a great question, and I won't lie to you, it can often be more difficult, and it's one of the things that we train people on, but the trick is once you learn how to do it, your training becomes more effective company-wide, whether, whether domestic or remote, or local or remote, I should say. There's a couple things, because you're right, it is out of sight, out of mind. People rarely onboard people because they don't have enough to do. They hire people because they're busy, they want to reduce their workload. And so when somebody's not in the same office, it becomes so easy to focus on staying afloat rather than investing in your new employee. So one of the first things I tell people is you got to understand, you know, John is going to start next Monday. I want to make sure that you have somebody that has set the time aside to make sure this starts off correctly. It's not plug and play. This is not a piece of software. This is a human being. And you've got to put the work in up front. Because most industries operate on an apprenticeship model that just follow me. I'm going to do the job for the day, ask questions, and that's your training. That's, that's how it works. That's how it's worked back when we had guilds and masons and, and journeymen and all that. And a lot of companies have never adapted. And that doesn't work for remote staffing. It doesn't matter if they're five minutes away or around the world. You can't teach somebody through a computer by just saying, watch what I'm doing, even if you're sharing your screen. So you have to pivot and you have to create scripts and outlines and particularly videos, stuff like that. So you should work weeks ahead of the start date, weeks, if not months, if possible. And the kicker is it doesn't need to be a difficult process. You just need to be methodical about it. One of the greatest tools that I can recommend for this is a program called Loom that I'm sure you're familiar with. Very. Yeah, it's, it's a lifesaver. Um, you can install it in your browser. And so what I do is when I know, when I know I'm going to open a requisition to take over something from me, I just start making a list of here's what they're going to do. Here's what they're going to take over for me. And every time I do that, I record it and I talk. So payroll, I recently hired an assistant and they took over processing payroll for me. 
And so I just turned it on. I did what I normally do. And I hit the record button. I said, okay, this is how we do payroll. I'm going to open up this page. I'm going to go here. It took a 10 minute process and maybe added 30 seconds to it. But going forward, there's a permanent record. And if that person doesn't work out for whatever reason, or if the task needs to migrate to somebody else, which happens all the time, you have that material. So that's one part of it. The, and then the secondary byproduct is you'll begin to see more standardization in your company. Because so many people, you can tell when they started by how they do things. Because five years ago, we did this. And that's when the person you trained with knew, learned how to do it. Three years ago, they do this. So you have four or five different people all doing it different ways. But when you move to a, a structured pedagogical approach, you have that consistency in your company and whatever your product is, whether it's a service, whether it's a widget, whether it's retail, you can be assured of consistency. One of the reasons franchises are so popular is consistency. You know you can go into any McDonald's in the country and get the same burger made the same way. So by starting this process, not overnight, not in a week, not even in a month, but over the course of several months and even a year or two, you'll see your company become much more standardized and much more healthy. And that also makes it easier to track the output of your employees because it's very clear what they're supposed to do. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because in a lot of companies, they have a learning management system. They have a training department. And many of the people listening to us right now are going, hey, we do that in our training department right now. Uh, but the reality is that a lot of times the training departments are covering more global things. They're covering mm -hmm. HR issues. They're covering maybe customer service. They may be reviewing the company vision, um, but they probably aren't necessarily providing the detailed training on a specific individual job role unless right. it's a job unless it's a job that there are many many people doing. Right. Um, so what you're really saying is that an individual within a company can take responsibility for training and creating their own tools to, to fill in for the things the corporation isn't doing by using tools like Gloom. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, because it doesn't need to be complicated. There are off-the-shelf LMSs that are fantastic, and I do recommend you try to use them. But I've seen companies thrive with nothing more than a Google spreadsheet and a hyperlink to the Loom video, and that can work. But yeah, one of your best it, friends can it obviously it depends on the size of the company. Of course, of course. Yeah. I'm not talking, you know, if you're more than 100 people, you need a professional MLS. But most of the companies we work with are between 30 and 70 employees. Yeah. Um, so you can make it work. And the other thing with training departments is they're often three to five years old and they're focusing on compliance rather than best practices. Who today yeah. can say that training from five years ago is relevant today? It's all, not all, it is largely obsolete because the world has changed. So by the time the training gets done, it's already obsolete. So you need people on the ground working on best practices. So um, I just want to highlight this because, you know, you know Loom, I know Loom, and there are other products similar to Loom. Jack, I went to a great website once where you typed in the product you like and it told you all the free versions of somebody that does what they do. Which I yeah. don't remember the name of that website. But what Loom does that's unique is Loom will tell you when someone has watched it. Okay. And you'll know how long they've watched it. 
So if you give somebody, if you create a video and you want someone to watch it, you can go into your Loom console and you can actually see that, you know, Rob watched this and he watched it all or he watched half. Uh, and that way someone can't just claim to have watched it and not watch. Ne never has happened that somebody's ever misled people around what they've trained. Uh, let's shift, if we can now, into communication. Um, let's just, you know, make a scenario here for a second. I've got a company and I've got, you know, a third of my employees are remote, two thirds are on site. I'm going to have a meeting. You know, I want to be in person with the people in person. I want to involve the people outside. What are your recommendations on how you, how, how you one does, one would best do that? Should it be two separate meetings, one meeting with a TV board, a TV, should everyone just be virtual? What, what would you recommend? Unless the material is going to be different for the local and the domestic, the, the remote workers, I rarely recommend having two meetings. If it's too large, if they're in another country and maybe the legal ramifications are different, like benefits, if it's a health insurance thing, something like that, then of course, a segment by the affected audience. But as much as possible, make people feel like one company. We do exit interviews on the employees that leave. And one of the most common mistakes we, what uh, common issues we hear is, I didn't really feel like I was part of the team. I felt like they're over there and I'm just kind of here. And that doesn't inspire people to do their best. So whether it's a meeting, whether it's training, whether it's, for example, virtual socials. I had a virtual social last Friday. We had people in the US, we had people in Mexico, we had people in the Philippines, we had everywhere. And we all got together, we played games, we laughed, we had memes, and we just did it together. So I would strongly recommend either having the TV in the conference room, as you said, or having everybody virtual because it puts people on the same footing. And I love being able to share screens, record things for people who didn't make it, stuff like that. But I believe you have to stop thinking of people as in-person and remote, just think of them as employees. That's, that's good advice. That's very good advice. Um, do you see differences in the hiring process for someone that's going to be remote versus non-remote? There definitely can be. I think with somebody who is in person, you have more data in front of you because you can read body language. You can read, you know, what, what time did they show up? Did they arrive early? What kind of chemistry do they have in person? And for example, right now, you and I, I could be wearing sweatpants in, in, in under the table. Nobody would know. There's less data that you're getting through the Zoom window. So I think you have to be more observant and honestly more confrontational. And th that has a negative stigma, but confrontational is not bad. So many issues fester because people are unwilling to say, this is what I'd like, this is what I'm expecting. And I think that we've gotten away from that as a culture, but with remote workers, you have to be willing to say, hey, how are things going? What's good? What's bad? What do you, you have to ask the direct questions. And similarly, the workers need to be willing to step up and say, hey, I didn't get that, or I don't feel like that's, you know, they, they need to feel like they can speak up. So people need to get better at asking the direct questions. You know, one of the things that I hear from people is how do I know someone who's working from home is working from home? I get that and, a lot. You know, in, in our case, um, you know, we have people that do training development and they literally track everything they're doing because we track 
to make sure that our processes and how long different things take to take, right. you know, we, we map everything. We we use a a really strong project management. Uh, we know exactly, you know, I can tell you right now that our average remote worker has 37 and a half hours of quote billable time a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. The rest of the time is meetings and other things, et cetera. We know they're working. We've got salespeople in the company and, and I believe they're working. But I don't right. know working, right? You know, that they could be, you know, by the pool. Right. Uh, you know, so how do you know or or, or what are the tales? I, I don't know. How do you know the yeah. people are working? Sure. Well, I get this question a ton. And I always flip it back and I say, Well, how do you know the people in your office are working? They're sitting there. Okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right. I mean, they're sitting there, but are they on Facebook? Are they on YouTube? Are they working? Are they working at max capacity? Because you, we all have good days where we're cranking things out and we're doing stuff. And we have days where we get to six o'clock and just say, what did I do all day? So we've got to give up the idea that we're paying for eight hours of the back of somebody's head. You're not paying for the time, you're paying for the output. And that's not saying that you shouldn't be sure they're working, you shouldn't have safeguards. I'm not saying that. But ask yourself, why are you hiring this person? Is it because you're lonely and you want somebody to talk to eight hours a day? No, you expect them to call this many clients. You you talked about sales. You don't know what they're doing. If they're hitting their quota, do you really care? Like, honestly, three hours a week, do you care that much? Yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, So, so many people... The ones that, that make the biggest fuss about that are often the ones that, have, that don't have the systems in place. So for example, we get a lot of people, number one thing is I need help. Okay, great, tell me more. Well, I'm just, I'm so overloaded, I need help. Okay, what, what, what kind of help? Well, I need another person. Okay, to do what? What are they gonna do in a standard day? What is it? One of the best questions we have in our arsenal. What does a standard day look like for this person? And that's when you can start to break it down to, okay, well, they're going to answer phones for half the time. They're going to spend two hours reviewing social media posts and doing client engagement, stuff like that. And then the remaining two hours will be doing answering emails and things like that. I say, okay, so let's break it down. Phone calls. How many phone calls a day? And are they going to be covering half the day, or are they going to be intermittent phone calls all day? All day intermittent. Great. Okay. What's your current missed call percentage? It's 4%. Is that a reasonable expectation? Yes. Okay. So we we start to break it down into, okay, I need somebody who can answer phones with a missed call percentage under 3%. They can respond to uh, engagement on social media within 24 hours, and they can code AP within three days of receipt with a 1% error rate. Great, now I can go find you something and now you have the tools to not only hire and train, but to supervise this person. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm gonna go a little off the flow of the topic here because you think about something. Many times companies add people that make it worse, not better. And I remember in my family business, um, we had a department that had 36 employees and they wanted more people and they couldn't handle the business they had because they didn't have enough people. 
we reorged the company and went from 36, I think, to 28 people. And we, we actually raised our prices. They said, look, we're going to have fewer people, raise our prices to have less business, and we'll make more money. And what ended up happening is our business went up by a third because our team was more efficient and less bureaucratic and taking care yeah. of customers better. Yeah. Uh, and so looking at and really understanding, you know, are you really effective? Or are we just adding people because we're making up for the fact that we aren't properly structured? We don't have good workflow software, mm-hmm. um, you know, et cetera. And so I haven't really asked a question, but do you want to comment or what are your thoughts on this topic? I definitely agree with that. There are a lot of companies that we've grown 10%, so we need to staff up by 10%. And don't get me wrong, there is wisdom in hiring before you're overwhelmed. So I'm, I'm not against that. But you need to have clear objectives with it. Like you said, are you full of people that are just kind of doing the bare minimum? If so, that's the company culture new people are going to get into, and that's what's going to permeate your company. There's a saying that nothing will kill a good employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. So totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Um, and so it could, I mean, of course, you're familiar with the 80-20 rule. 20% of your employees put out 80% of your results. 20% of your, 80% of your problems come from 20% of your people or your customers or fill in the blank. So people should definitely look at people on an individual basis. And that goes back to objective criteria. It's going to be different for every company, but figure out what it is. Cause too many people stick around because they've never done anything to get fired, but that doesn't mean they're actually contributing and pushing it forward. One of the exercises I take my clients through is I want you to imagine that you came to this company today. You have no employees and we're going to walk through the various departments of the company and we're going to create an org chart pretending you just bought it and it's brand new starting from scratch. What positions would you create? Because a lot of times people have legacies. They have people that have been there so long that they're scared to disrupt and we should be respectful. I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, doing wrong to people, but we don't change things because they, they barely work. So what we find is a lot of people can be very resistant to change because this is the way it's always worked. And they have legacy employees that have been there a long time. And of course we should be respectful and make sure they're on board and talk to them and include them in the process. But so often we're afraid to move things around, even when the market and technology and all of that mandates it. One of the things that has been a great result from COVID is that it forced people to do that. Interested in Tortle's learning management system? Why not try it for free today? Tortle is offering a free LMS for up to 25 users. With Tortle's easy-to-use self-authoring tool and free quick start guide, you'll have courses up in no time. Sign up today and you'll experience one of the easiest-to-use LMSs in the marketplace today. To learn more, visit tortle.com forward slash LMS. You could not avoid looking at how you do business and seeing how to adapt it. But an exercise I take my clients through is I want you to look at the business and pretend that you just bought it. There's no employees and we're going to create an org chart and we're going to map out every process and put it first under a department and then under a position. 
And then I want you to look at that and compare to how you do things today. Because so many positions they have, well, this person does 80% of accounting and then three years ago, this person left and he covered, so he's an account manager on these two clients. They just kind of stayed there. So once a year, twice a year, it's really helpful to just look at it with fresh eyes, pretend there's no people there, you just bought the company and ask yourself how you would organize the staff. And that can be a great way to analyze how many people you need, where they should all be, et cetera. And, and let me quickly add, I am not in the chopping block business. I have never gone to a client and said, fire these people to save money. If you have good people, you can find stuff for them. To, you can find areas where they can thrive, new functions, things like that. So I'm not in the, in the chopping block business. Well, you're, but leading, I am the, you're leading me nicely to the next question. Okay. Overseas employees. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely had experiences where we've added overseas employees and current U.S. employees are not happy about it. Sure. Um, but take every question we've asked you already and apply it to overseas. And I, I'm joking about that. But, you know, different time zones, you know, how, how do you create a great working environment with somebody that you know is not in the same primary time zones you're in, you know, can sometimes be that way, East Coast, West Coast in the US. Mm -hmm. Does that impact some of the things we've been talking about? Well, I mean, my organization as a whole has around 400 employees. I would confidently say that 325, 350 of those are in Mexico. So I, I come at everything with the, the perspective of remote employees. And that's part of why we're so heavy in Mexico, because it does share the same time zone. I don't like people having to work grave shift indefinitely because I did it when I was young and I certainly wouldn't want to do that long term. So that means you're not going to keep your best people. But it a lot. What I tell people when they're asking about, you know, domestic employees being unhappy, particularly in this labor market, I usually say the same thing. I'll make you a deal if you have somebody local who would like to do the job, who will show up and do it well, by all means, send them our way and we'll, we'll talk to them. But until then, I'm going to do what I can to give you the support you need and keep this business running. Because it's a very important distinction. We don't consider ourselves a cost-saving company. Our, we do not come in and say, I'm going to save you all this money. You do save money, but that's not our primary goal. We're a superior staffing company. We find the best talent available regardless of where they live. Yeah. Well, I think in today's world, um, there needs to be a blend mm -hmm. to enable companies to pay people properly in the U.S. But I also think, you know, providing good jobs for people in other countries or helping the world. Oh, so sure. I don't I don't see anything negative about it at all. I just see it logistically difficult. I oh, can sure. I can tell you that in in software, it's really great to work with a partner where you, you work on a project at the end of the day, you hand off the project, say, hey, I need you to get this, this, and this. And then you go to bed, and you wake up and a lot of work's been done for you. Um, but let's now shift because you're clearly a smart person. I know that our listeners are wondering, okay, this guy's got a big company and I wonder what they do. So this is your opportunity. Tell everybody you know, what your company does. And I know, by the way, you do more than just what we've been talking about. So make sure you share that. And who are your typical customers? 
and how people can reach you. Sure. Well, I mean, we're, we're a remote staffing company, which at its core, we're a headhunter. We go out and we find the best talent for you. Customers come to us. We usually work with small to medium-sized companies, most effectively between 10 I think our largest has 1,300 employees, but our passion is between 10 and 200 employees. And they come to us and they say, I need a bookkeeper, or I need a staff accountant, or a customer service rep, or an admin, or what have you. And we, as I said, we parse through the job description, we help them identify what they need, and we go out and we find that person. We interview candidates, we present around to finalists, we screen them ourselves, of course. And then when they interview them and make a selection, we handle the payroll taxes and the benefits and the um, uh, just all the minutiae associated with employing someone in a foreign country. And as you said about providing jobs, we're extremely proud of the way that we pay our people. We have full benefits packages. We have a 8% employer match savings fund, 4 and 4%, uh, similar to a 401k, but it's cashed out annually. They get restaurant and food tickets. They work on company equipment. They, we have local offices they can come into if they choose so they don't feel you know, disconnected. Um, so we're very proud of what we do. And we, we firmly believe that we're helping these people and providing the best talent. But by doing that, we're ensuring that they stay longest, which is a lot more cost effective for a company than churning and burning every six months. So it's win-win. Yeah, interesting. You know, I know companies that staff people and but it seems like you're not just staffing you're actually continuing the relationship you, absolutely yeah. yeah and after they start we stay involved we not only do orientation with both sides to make sure they're ready for it we do check-ins on a regular basis what i said earlier about being confrontational we talk to both sides and we say hey how's it going it's been 30 days how are you feeling does does the job match what you were told do you feel connected to the team? Is there any feedback, stuff like that? And then we pass that information along in a helpful manner. And similarly, when a client says something, we'll facilitate that conversation. We'll say, hey, let's get you two in a room and let's talk through these things. We don't, we don't work for just the clients. We work for both sides, ensuring a win-win transaction. Do you um, do any consulting on, on organizational structure at all? Because like, we've talked a lot about this where you talked about, do you really need this person, not need, is that a service you provide? Yeah, we have Gordian Consulting and, and it's just a few of us that, that honestly work at the company, but we're able to talk to people and share what successes and failures we've seen in other companies and just try to help where we can. It was a very difficult journey. I've, I bought my first business a little over 10 years ago and we certainly had some dark times as I was learning things. And so I love to talk to people and just share what I've learned and hopefully help get them through those times quicker than I did. Cool, very cool. So I know like our like most of our guests, you have an offer, you have an actually a very good offer uh, and make sure you share the offer and also tell everyone how to reach you. We can't forget that on the show. Sure. Yeah, my offer is simply this free consulting session. If you just want to talk, you just want to pick my brain, you want advice, you want to talk about just any questions about what I've discussed or what we do, no pressure, no sales, no trying to upsell you or after work. If you're just looking for somebody to talk, or even if you're just, if you're in a place where you just feel like you're stuck and you, you can't talk to anybody, we have a very strong confidentiality agreement and people love talking to somebody from the outside that can just 
they can unburden themselves. And we love being that person that can help, even if it's just listening. So reach out to us on LinkedIn or Instagram or go to our website at slicingthegordianknot.com. Hey, we're going to say that one more time because you went really fast. Sure. A lot of our listeners are in the car as we speak. What's your website again? Our website is slicingthegordianknot.com. Okay. Why did you come up with that as a name? Are you, are you familiar with the Gordian Knot? I am not, sir. So I, I loved I love um, I love history. Uh, it goes back to Alexander the Great. He was passing through Asia Minor, and he came to this town um, called Gordia, Gordius. And there was uh, I'm probably butchering the name, but there was this knot that had been there for years, and it had become more and more tangled between an ox cart and a wall. And people tried to untangle it. And the the story goes that there was uh, an oracle who made a prophecy that whosoever can can untangle this knot is destined to rule the world so alexander comes to town and he hears this and he stands in front of it and he just kind of he just stares at it for a while for a minute and five minutes and 10 minutes and half an hour and an hour and finally after a while with no warning he takes out his sword and he slices it in half slicing the gordian knot and he went on to conquer the known world before his his death at 32. So it's become synonymous with taking old problems and solving them in new and decisive ways. And I feel like that sums up. That's a a cool story. Yeah, I feel like that sums up what we're about. So if they go to your LinkedIn, should they go to your LinkedIn and look up you as Rob Buffington or should they go to Slice the Gordian Knot on LinkedIn? Easiest way is just find me personally, um, and I'll be happy to connect you with either myself or the appropriate person in the company, or if you prefer the website, slicingthegordianknot.com, you can find the contact us section and we'll make sure to reach out. Cool. As we always end our show, what's one best practice you want to share with the audience? It's, I'm sure it's been said before many times, but I'd say read at least a book a week. Uh, I'm a voracious reader. I listen to books in the car or read books any chance I get you never know what you're going to glean from it. Even if you read it a dozen times, I'm rereading uh, probably my favorite book, which is Pillars of the Earth by Ken Follett. I've read it at least a dozen times, but every time I read it, I get something new what's, out of it. What's the, what's the book about? I've never it's heard about, the, oh, it's, I, I, it's, it's a beautiful book. It's about the building of a cathedral in a small town in the 1100s. Uh, it's right after King Henry I died before the Plantagenets. Is it a, is it a business book or is it a... No, it's a, it's historical fiction. I can I, I'm reading a book, uh, many business books call one's uh, teeming. I'm re- I just finished a biography of Genghis Khan, but just for example, I'm rereading this book for the twelfth time easily. But because I've recently finished studying European history pretty in depth over the last year or two, I'm getting so much more out of the book. So it doesn't matter how often you read a book, if you've read it before, if you don't think it even applies to you. Just dive in and see what you can find. There's a saying that no man crosses the same river twice, for it's not the same man nor the same river. So pick up a book, even if it's a great book that changed your life five years ago, go ahead and reread it. Start over, see what you get out of it, but try to read as much as you can and you'll you'll go far. Yeah, I, I love reading. I love reading books. And uh, I, uh, I probably read three quarters of my books at least are business books. I'm not mm-hmm. as good as you. I don't do 52 books a year. I probably do 20 books a year. 
Um, yeah. But, uh, I, I, you know, self-improvement is to me one of the absolute keys to success in life is to always level up, level up, level up. Green and growing are ripe, ripe and rotting. You know, it's, uh, you know, to me, that's why I love doing this podcast. And on that note, uh, Rob, I want to thank you to be, for being a guest. I want to thank my listeners because without you, I wouldn't have a show. I want to thank my friends at C-Suite TV and C-Suite Radio for sponsoring the show uh, to making making the, the show viable. Uh, and everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.